it's nothing personal for me. It's just business. The streets of Baltimore, on the streets of Detroit, during the, the 60s in New York City. Immediately within it, you are going to get those people whose differences are not being articulated, which is right us. You expecting any backlash? Oh, I'm already getting it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is the Exit the Matrix podcast. I am Amin Drew Law. Um, AKA Amin TMK plus size model troublesome next level with this next level shit. I am with Amoja the moment, some of the little tanky that could. Little I wish a motherfucker, tanky, motherfucker wish would. A motherfucker would. Yo, we got gas, bro. We have gas. Your behavior this is, is what is I have. Okay, we're going with stand up comedian, singer songwriter. Activist Ichel Rojas, Hi. aka Sarah Hernandez. I didn't even ask you how you wanted to be introduced. Ichel. Ichel. Ichel's. Yeah. It's easy. It's accessible. It is. <laughs> it is. It's very accessible. All people can use it. Yeah. So you know, tell the people a little bit about yourself. Who I am. Yeah, oh who, my who god. Is you? I is so many things. So I'm a comedian. I'm a Hilarious. musician. I am a singer. And also very much a weird person on Instagram. Where can they follow you on Instagram? So you can follow me on Hypofeminine because I believe that hypermasculinity is not the issue, just the issue with our society. I think we put a lot of emphasis and focus on that, but there really is a fear of femininity. With stand-up comedy, it really allows you to talk about all of that. It's important, yeah. I mean, you know, and so what do we do? We bring the comic... And also poet, you forgot poet, but like I did forget poet. The, but, but like legit, though, Ichel is one of the funniest motherfuckers I know. And what do we do? <laughs> we bring her on like the saddest fucking subject ever, the fucking mother wounds. Yeah. We've had a lot of requests, you know what I'm saying? And we want to honor the things that y'all ask and talk about these subjects in a, in a fearless way, in an honorable way, in a way that allows us to to achieve vulnerability with you. We're often politically vulnerable, talking about positions that are not in the mainstream but emotional maturity is part of that too and so sharing that journey of emotional vulnerability that's something where we're at that's something that i'm a rock hard for and i'm happy as fuck to have one of the bravest most emotionally complicated people i know who's also a bomb ass artist so i think we specifically waited to to make sure each schedule lined up she's a very busy human being you know because of her talents so we were excited to be able to fit fit her in but i also wanted to give a big shout out to um one of our followers on instagram matrix podcast uh smoochie blanco and i just want to give a shout out to them you know that's you know dedicated to you fam hey so yeah since we have one of the best um, most eloquent lovely sounding speakers and uh singers in the game oh i was wondering if you could read the mother wound list Oh, sure, sure, sure. All right. Well, let's start with the list. I love this list. It's great. I love talking about traumas. It's my, my creme de la creme, you know? Your expertise. It's my expertise. Oh, the perfect taste of trauma. Oh, let's talk about it. Let's talk about that shit. I love it. I am ready to receive instruction from the realm of creation above me. We may have a mother wound if being our full selves around her risked punishment. We were unable to turn our mother for support. We felt she competed with us. Our mother was physically or emotionally abusive. She was volatile or emotionally absent. We had to parent our parents. I resonate with that one. Oh, my God. Yeah, no, like I feel like I definitely, the emotionally absent one, really. But not only just that, like, I feel like just didn't 
encourage you. It's, I mean, I guess that's a part of being emotionally absent, but it's so interesting how this um, list comes at it from a deficit. You know what I mean? Right, right. So what does that also mean? Like what specifically was not present that you needed for yourself? What's interesting to me is how some of these bleed into the other. I can look at each of these and remember the impacts and how all of these shaped me to becoming the person that I am. Mm-hmm. And I'm not a person that likes to look at it like net gain, like, oh, I'm I'm trying to be a fucking awesome person now. And if only I had, I needed this pain to become, no, fuck that. I could have got to who I am without the fucking trauma. In fact, I probably would have got to who I'm trying to become faster without the trauma. The trauma allows me to appreciate the depth of the darkness, and so I try not to emulate that. But, like, when we talk about being our full selves around her, risk punishment, I remember my mother was the one who got me into poetry, but then would be like, you know, don't be too fucking emotional with this shit. Like, don't be, don't be fucking crying, you little fucking sissy. Like, this is real shit. You know, when we talk about, like, decolonizing ourselves from these expectations of patriarchy, you can make excuses about it all you want, but I had more range. My father was fucked up to me, too, in a lot of ways, but I had more emotional capacity for range around him than I ever did my mother. There were certain emotional states I could never allow myself to be. I had to be happy. I had to be compliant. I had to be subservient. I couldn't be angry. I couldn't be disappointed. I couldn't be afraid. I couldn't be sad. I couldn't be weak. I couldn't do those things. Some of my biggest conflicts I had, everybody that knows me knows I'm an extremely short man, having to fight with my mother for bodily autonomy to not take human growth hormone, which she demanded that I take because no one could love a short man, Uh. right? Like, these are the things that you're coming, and so your mother becomes a proxy of all of that. It's like, no, really, you're projecting you. You couldn't have loved a short man. And so you're acting like this is this thing where you're saving me from this lifetime of hurt. But you don't have the world's address. There are women that are going to love me brilliantly. Women that have loved me brilliantly because of who I am, not what I'm able to represent in this physical vessel. That's physical and emotional abuse. When I am literally not having the right to say no, this is not what I want. I don't want to take this medicine. I don't want, because this is not like a health concern. I'm not going to die because I'm short. I'm just short. You're physically forcing me to take human growth hormone take shots to this day i hate fucking needles for exactly that i knew there were some drugs i was never gonna do just because as a kid i fucking hated having to take shots right unable to turn to your mother for fucking support like i had the kind of mom that would beat the shit out of me if i had bad grades but never once in the entire semester asked to help me do my homework. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're not helping me learn this shit, but I'm going to be punished if I don't have anything less than excellence, volatile or emotionally absent. Like, my mother was so volatile to the point where if you would look at her wrong, she would strike you. Like, in the fucking face. Like, but, hey, look, I'm not trying to fucking have lotus flower, right? Oh, she didn't punch me in the face. Yeah, but she smacked the shit out of me. Felt like competed with us. I remember my mom taught me chess, which is my favorite game in the world. She loved to play chess with me until I got better than her. Like, once I got to the point where I could legitimately beat her, she never wanted to play me in chess again, ever. I'd want to play chess. Like, let's play. She didn't want to play. 
Like when she could beat me in chess, you know, video games, same shit. My mother was a gamer just like I was. I came into this game and shit with, with my mom, which is why it was always weird to me when people are like, women don't game. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? My mother's got the most vicious Pac-Man game on the fucking planet. But if I beat her in a game, shit was not great. If I beat her in fucking Mario Brothers, shit was not fucking great. And it's like, I never had to parent my parent, but they realized, right, going back to the competition, there was a point where emotionally I had moved beyond what they were capable of. And this is the heart of the okay boomer shit. We're not mad at people because they're old. We're mad at people because they're used to the way that knowledge used to transfer. It took so long to accrue knowledge that you had to be a certain age to know the most. But now there's so much knowledge everywhere and you can get it so fast that by 35, there are people that know way more than someone at a 65 ever will. You have more access to the knowledge and like they feared me in those ways where I had surpassed them emotionally. And I feel like those are wounds you carry with you your entire life. Oh my gosh, yeah. When it comes to this list, so my mom was a single mom. You know, she was raising both my sister and I. My dad was around, but he was like a Sunday parent. But like my mom was a very stoic woman. I talk about it a little bit in my comedy where it's just like I wasn't, she didn't show much emotion in general unless it was out of anger or you know, disappointment, but like, or if we were watching television together, (laughs) like, I don't know, as a, I guess the reason why I pointed out why it's important to like, not just look at this as a deficit, but rather what you needed, remembering what you needed as an individual and the fact that she didn't give you that, like, what did you need? You know, cause that's ultimately how you're going to heal the mother wound is realizing what you needed as an individual and you providing yourself that. And for me personally, I needed affirmations. Like I needed, yeah. I, I, I think that you might resonate with it. I, that I resonate with is there was no attempt to learn me at all. No, not as an individual. No, no I mean, not, not personally is what I mean to say. Yeah. Like who, what made you unique? There was no int- – you didn't even attempt. It was like I'm g- shaping you here, mm-hmm. and the fact that you're not meeting the way that I'm shaping you is uh, – means I need to be angry with you. And it's like, damn, like – No, and I think that for me it does make a difference because I do – I am the daughter of, like, immigrants. I'm first-generation American. There was a language barrier with my mother. I And, like, just a significant cultural, you know, barrier, I mean – as well as a, general, a generational one. Yeah, I just, I feel like that played a huge part in her just not wanting to understand me. She didn't feel the need to. Yeah, well, as I'm looking, um, you know, when I'm looking at this list, I think the thing that strikes me the most is uh, I had to parent my parent. And mm. um, yeah, I, I, you know, I just remember being like at a very young age, like having to perform like very specific and particular tasks, you know, that mm-hmm. like really my parents should be doing. Like my my parents, I would be aware that my parents were stealing money from me. Mm-hmm. Like I would I would I would have to just Oh your under- parents took money from you too? Yeah. yeah. So so something that it's not that they would take money, it's just that they would they would be ridiculous with their money. Mm. They would be ridiculous. Then it was like, okay, well, the electric bill is going to get Extreme cut off. Poverty. Yeah, I knew okay. I'm not going to have electric. And when I got older and started making money, they would do things like, well, the electric bill is going to get cut Extreme off unless you can give me the money. Okay. I don't have no problem with helping y'all with this, you know, but I'm also like, y'all don't give me anything to survive not in at life. All. 
And, and like the thing for me is like black parents are always going to do it one level higher. You know what I'm saying? It's like, you know, even talking on this is a fucking taboo thing because like a black man is never supposed to have anything negative to say about your mom. It's all massage and noir. And it's like, no, this is the trauma that we lived and we have to be able to talk about these things. Like third wave feminism does not fucking acknowledge the ways that matriarchy has continued to be toxic. The thing is, patriarchy is toxic matriarchy is toxic all of these systems that say this is the way it has to be are toxic because they don't make way for the nuance of fucking intricacy between people my black family they they don't steal money from you because you don't have the rights to anything if you have a fucking job all of this money belongs to us and you give us what we say like my parents didn't have to steal from me because it was never mine to have my room was not mine to have my journal was not mine to have money from a job i had was not mine to have and once i got to the point where i was old enough to have it my credit was theirs mm-hmm. so they would literally well, like who yeah. has the fucking best knowledge to fucking do uh, uh identity theft of you it's always your parents they know when you were born they know your mother's motherfucking maiden name they know your social security number like my first several credit cards i never got to fucking even see my american express is fucked up to this day from shit that my parents got yeah, I didn't really feel as much of the parent, like I needed to parent my parent. I feel like because I was the younger sibling, you know, is, you know, she had two daughters. So is me, my sister and I, my sister definitely had a sense of that. Like the second that she was old enough to get a, have a bank account, like her bank account was attached to like different bills. Right. And like, I felt that to a degree, but because I saw how she fucked up my sister's money, like I was just, all right, well, I'm not going to fall into that. So I should have said this already, but, like, I am Salvadoran-American. Like, I was born here. My sister was born in El Salvador. She came with my mother when my sister was three. And then I was born a year after. But anyway, so we have two completely different experiences with our mother. Like, my mother... I mean, I should also talk about my mother's mother wound. <laughs> like, <No>. right? <laughs> because oh, I know that plays a huge... Like, that plays a huge role of why she was the way that she was. And I don't say that as an excuse, but I say that because, I mean, because I do think generally generational trauma is a thing. I mean, far past, like, how to, it just, just, there's just like a weird, like, connection that I have to my mother, like, past just, you know. No, but getting into, like, my mother's trauma, like, my mother was raised in El Salvador. She had an alcoholic father and like a lot of alcoholics on her father's side of the family. So the person that actually helped her come to this country uh, was her uncle. And he was funny enough, a musician, <laughs> but um, an alcoholic like, and so she's just, used- so that's just like really in your, your mom's side of the family, like artists and alcoholics, yeah. <laughs> which is why I actually don't drink as much because I'm like, well, I got the artist part down. I could see how alcoholism I know. might be. I know you really did stop drinking. huh? I used to drink a lot. So, uh, Does that, and that had a part, do you feel like that had a part, like just your family's history? I do. I think there was a lot of anxiety on my mother's side of the family. There's just a lot of just fear felt. So like my mother, I saw it in her, like she never drank around us. But, um, you know, you could see her anxiety, which kind of like, like this fear of everything. And I, it probably came from growing up with a really abusive father, but she had like a, she had a fear of everything. And she was kind of affirmed of this fear, like when she became a a Jehovah's witness, but we'll get into that later. But when did you, mm -hmm. can I ask, when did you like in real time start understanding that like a lot of how your mom 
was parenting you was through a, like a, a projection of her own fears. Like, do you ever do you remember that feeling growing up? Like, oh, mom, this is you projecting. Maybe you didn't have that language, but you felt it. You know what? Honestly, I didn't realize that till like very recently as an adult. Mo man, do you feel like? you started to kind of realize a lot of that like gaslighting and projection at like were you were you young enough to remember like it's difficult right i mean especially being like hebrew and being a good fucking jewish firstborn son like that shit carries a ton of fucking weight and a ton of fucking responsibility you know what i'm saying and and like so for me you don't think to question any of it. You think this is the way it's supposed to be. You think that you're supposed to do exactly what they say. You're supposed to be the first fucking arrow in their hand. They're quiverful. You are the first arrow that is fired. You are the firstborn son. It is your job to carry out this legacy. Don't fucking ask questions. Just go out and be mm. that fucking person. Like You shouldn't question why we need the fucking credit card. Like We're doing this for the fucking family and like you live here and you're benefiting from this like you chose to be a part of this like none of us chose to be a part of this you know what i'm saying and it's tough to argue against it because then you start to fall into some real eugenic shit right like don't have kids until you can fucking afford them because people of color are never put in a position to have big fucking families Mm -hmm. we can never afford them and so that becomes a eugenics argument but at the same time once you have them it's on you to fucking figure out how you feel about that shit what I should have been doing when I had those jobs at 15 and 16 is building up a little fucking nest egg so that when I'm in college or whatever I'm doing, I'm kind of fettied up. I'm kind of in a good position. Instead, I'm not able to save a fucking penny because we're all overextended where we're living because, you know, again, black bourgeoisie, right? We have to be putting on. We have to be in the best possible fucking house that we can afford so that other motherfuckers know we not them broke niggas. This shit is so detrimental and damaging that you want to carry on these fucking traditions. You think that they're good. And, like, that's why I love that each is talking about intergenerational trauma. Yeah, my parents were both fucked up because their parents fucked them up. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? But at this, at sooner or later, part of being an adult is owning the role that you have played in these things and acknowledging. You know, I think about as a Hebrew, one of the things that's most important for us is the fucking Day of Atonement, right? Mm-hmm. Where you acknowledge all of the wrong that you have done in the world to others. Mm-hmm. My parents will never humble themselves to be like, there were things I didn't know. I was not a great fucking parent, and I fucked you up in a lot of ways that's going to damage you romantically, that damaged you financially, that damaged you intellectually, spiritually. We're grown. Like, I don't need money. I just need... And then, but also to know that you're going to work to change your life to make it better. And like, these are the kind of things that just don't happen in black America. Parents don't own, it's like, well, we were young and we're fucked up and we're doing the best that we can. That's not an apology, yo. That's just barely acknowledging you weren't perfect. I wanted to touch on this with you too, Ichel, because, you know, I know, and you mentioned this earlier, you know, like how much impact you growing up in like a Jehovah's Witness home Yeah, so you know how I was talking about earlier, like my mom had a lot of anxiety. Like I think because she grew up in an abusive household, there was this constant sense of like, constant sense of catastrophe around her. Like I feel like that was like affirmed with 
being a Jehovah's Witness. So if you don't know anything about being a Jehovah's Witness, it's it's kind of culty in religions. I don't really want to. Sh- I just know that they come to my door. Didn't they come earlier they today? They came this morning, bro. Like I was trying to talk about like. <laughs> I was like, I was like, today we're gonna talk about being a Jehovah's, like how I grew up Jehovah's Witness, how that like affected me, and then no bullshit, like they're in, like a Jehovah's Witness. Game. The moment was talk there, about the universe. No, no, it was so fucking great too, right? Because we talk about the difference, like me and each other coming and we're getting ready to do the podcast. Of course, we run into each other because DC is such a small city, right? So right, small. and we're talking about the way that we approach the world, and like each is like, yeah, you know, I really don't like to judge people. I'm like, fuck that, I'm Jewish. All of the judgment, bitch. All of the judgment. And so, like, they come to the fucking door, and like each is so fucking gracious, and I'm like. Oh, oh, they gave us paraphernalia? Bad. Let's rip that shit up. Let's roll it. Let's make some fucking was, blunts out that actually, shit. Yeah. Let's smoke that whack-ass God, right? Like, just because I'm like... It's like somewhat... Like, that's like a great, it, like, essence of, like, what the religion, like, the person... Like, a personality trait of being a Jehovah's Witness. Hey, so let me break it down. So when you're a Jehovah's Witness, basically, um, what they believe is that they're... There is a heaven, there is no hell, but when um, you die, you don't go to heaven. Basically, when you die, that's that's about it until there's like Armageddon and all that shit where like God is fighting the devil and then all of a sudden the world will be destroyed and only the people that are Jehovah's Witnesses will be resurrected and invited to this kingdom of heaven. So what's so interesting is They're that- They're the only ones with the invite. But this is my question though. How can you have that faith, right? Because what they're doing is, once again, as a Jew, I know what they're doing. They're taking a Jewish (laughs) prophecy that they don't fucking understand, and they're misinterpreting it. So what they're taking is the fucking prophecy of the 12,000 from the 12 tribes and coming up with the 244,000 that's going to be with God in heaven after the apocalypse. But my question is this. If that's the shit you believe... How can there ever be more than 244,000 Jehovah Witnesses? Because I'm like, bitch, I'm in line. This motherfucker been Jehovah Witness longer than me. I'm a fucking Jehovah's Witness, but I'm not going to be part of the 244,000. Like, is it a fight club? Like, when the, the, the next motherfucker's like, well, we are at capacity. There's 244,000 Jehovah's Witnesses. Any new ones have to fight to the fucking death for the fucking blessing of Jesus. Yeah, no, it's a crazy thing with Jehovah's Witnesses. Like, I just remembered the line, the road to God is straight and narrow, like that whole sort of belief that not every like, like they purity. They, well, no, well they made you feel like because not there aren't many Jehovah's Witnesses, like the the true believers, an exclusive. Well, it's like yeah, essentially, like they're they're like saying they're like saying, look, there isn't many of us, but that's that though the, the cho- there aren't going to be many of the chosen ones. So it like it plays upon your vulnerability, like if you're if you feel like. So, and I think my mom fell into that, right? She didn't feel a sense of community anywhere in this country coming alone with her daughter. And then, okay, this is like a crazy story. So I just remember being a little kid and just naturally before even becoming a Jehovah's Witness, I was very antsy and scared about a lot of different things. I just remember first learning about global warming and, you know, this guy from NASA is like, this is what's happening with our earth. It's heating up. El Nino's happening. 
okay, bye. You know? And then, <laughs> right, that's what news does. Oh, yeah, scientists say the Earth is dying, and uh, we'll be back later with weather. But what's crazy to me is that I was like seven, and everybody was just ready for lunch afterward, and I just remember being a kid being like, oh, my God. Like, <laughs> wait, this guy just said that. We're just getting Did you guys hear that? To, right. Did you? Uh, I, lunch? You're so annoying as a kid. I was a kid like that, too. Did you Yo. guys, did you know the planet's dying? I just remember going to my teachers and being like, but are we good? (laughs) (laughs) Like, I just, I I was just a kid that was naturally worried about a lot of things. Like, even with my sister, like, so we shared a room growing up. I remember first, I remember the first conversation I had about death. Like, I just remember we were, it was late at night. We were in our beds, in our twin sides beds. I was in one bed, my sister in the other. And she's like, hey, Sarah. And I'm like, what? (laughs) And she goes, do you know about death? I was like, no, what's that? And she was like, it's when you're asleep and you basically, you can't, you're not going to wake up and yeah, you can't even breathe. I'm like, oh shit. She's like, yeah, it happens to a lot of old people. Thanks for the, (laughs) thanks for the talk. Thanks for the talk, sis. It's like, damn, it's like death. Is that motherfucker at the door? Like, is he in the closet? Where the fuck is he? Can we avoid this nigga death, please? Like, why would you bring that kind of shit up just on some random shit? Like, and not even like, they're like not trying to purposely scare you. This is just some regular shit. Yeah, I was just like, I just remember just not, I was like, that's the end. So I just remember knowing, like, she was basically saying, like, death is the end. And I'm like, what the fuck does that mean? I kind of want to just pivot. Is it cool if I pivot? Do I have consent? I, I consent. Okay. <clears throat> I wanted to ask about how the healing process or maybe the removal process of your family, you know, parts of your family, how did you heal or move forward? You know, what were the processes, you know, come to understand yourself as a single single entity and not just a member of this family. Like- well, I think I'm still going through the process. And it might, I mean, I feel like that's the case for a lot of people, especially when you're young. I think it helps. Like what I was saying earlier is reflecting on the wounds that my mother has gone through. It gives a sense of empathy to a degree. I mean, of course, what Moman was saying, it's like you want these people to kind of acknowledge what they did. It's weird for my mom. Actually, I was going to mention, she kind of did acknowledge like that she didn't know everything. She still, interestingly enough, tries to guilt trip me, which is odd because it's not really an apology, but I just have to recognize that in her. And you know what? I almost hearing her that way she's kind of delusional and a lot of the things that she says she has no awareness I don't know what it's like to be a human that has gone down that route I don't mind accepting that but I need my distance because honestly my relationship is better without like really talking much to her and just remembering like I am a product of her you know I have her genetics What would happen if everything went right in her life? Would I be that to a degree? That's why I just want to live my life to the fullest because I kind of feel like I have to do that in honor of her. Yeah, no, I feel an echo much of that, right? And I just want to honor the the space you have made to share that with us, your journey. Mine is much the same way. I feel like distance is is critical. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's, you know, you think about the old legends with the gods, right? where the Titans were terrified of the Olympians because the thing is, when the Olympians came, it was always their destiny to eat the Titans. This is why, like, fucking Kronos wants to eat the stone and he thinks it's Zeus, right? Mm -hmm. Our parents 
are going through that same shit. They know we're going to eclipse them. But the ego manifests yourself as the highest ideal of everything. You are the greatest and most perfect consciousness. And you see this thing that's 50% you. And it's a constant reminder of what you could have been with just a little bit different programming. And so, like, they're always at conflict with that shit. For me, it was about just understanding that I had passed them, right? And it's like, it's no shame. It's no animosity. They are who they are. I don't have to forgive them. If I wait for them to come to the consciousness to understand the ways that they have hurt me and the ways they continue to hurt me, I'm going to come to a complete stop because they're never going to get there. I can't put me on pause waiting for them to figure this shit out. I have to keep going. And so for me, it was just important to create that distance no matter what tactics are utilized because I understand they're not at the level of awareness that they're ever going to need to be able to be Mm -hmm. to be something other than something that unfortunately is – is a toxic thing for me. Yeah, and I feel like looking at the things that they couldn't provide you, it's going to be a huge fuel for your art, which you're going to like we're going to talk about a bit. It's I feel like that's You have to work it out, you know. You have to rationalize it. Mhm. I feel like you have to right, you have to become your own parent. There comes a point in your life where you have to heal your wounds by being that and wondering what that looks like. And I feel like creative expression is a great extension of that. And it's very shameful that a lot of people just think art is reserved for elite, talented people when really it's just a skill. I mean, I'm not a mathematician, but I know basic math. Why can't people like know just how to express themselves creatively, the bare minimum to just free themselves of, you know, emotional wounds? But no, we have to reserve it for talented creative people and I feel like if anything catharsis can really help you with healing emotional wounds because it's so deeply personal and intimate and that is what the relationship with your parents was like and with your mother especially I mean because your mother is who lets you into this world it is just such a sacred relationship even if she's not the person that like birthed you, like the relationship you with, you have with your mother is so closely tied, especially in mythology and history, with just nurturing and gentleness. And if you didn't get all of those things, kindness, warmth, healing, you you need to learn how to provide that for yourself. And nothing does that more than art. In much that same way, right? All of these experiences are complicated experiences. It's like mm-hmm. my childhood was an incredibly traumatic violent experience Mm. and even that though it's not without the complexity and nuance of the fact that like it would be unreal to not acknowledge my mother had the discipline of a fucking Benny Jesuit reverend mother like she trained my consciousness in a way that Mm. made me sharp that made me uh, aware of conflict made me aware of guile It gave me a tactical mind. You know what I'm saying? And, like, she's one of the most clever people I've ever met in my life. Like, a very forceful personality, uh, a strong woman, uh, the kind of, you know what I'm saying? So, like, all of these people, and, and that's that thing. You're in the complexity of who they are, and it's not to diminish them. It's to say, in spite of all of the things that you do extraordinarily well, 
when it comes to programming a child and preparing them for their own life to be successful, you made a lot of significant mistakes. Like even just starting there with that thing, like it doesn't have to be out of malice. It doesn't have to be out of, oh my God, they wanted to hurt you. It doesn't matter because if if I'm standing on a cliff and someone bumps into me and I fall off that cliff and I die, what the fuck difference does it make to me whether they meant to do it or they didn't? I applaud both of y'all. For, for sharing that vulnerability. Vulnerability is bravery, you know? Gang, gang. So with all that being said, and I co-sign all of that, I've, I've had similar experiences. I resonate. And I just wanted to say, like, a lot of times, you know, your family knows that. The people that raised you know those flaws and those pains and those hurts that they, they caused you. And through all of that, you made it and became dope. And you found your own interests. And they wonder how you could have done it without them. And that brings me to this aspect, which is I was raised by my friend group. Like, that's that's how I came into learning. And, of course, there's a lot of problems with that. But yeah. I was truly raised by my friends. Mm-hmm. And they became my family, my chosen family. And I could not imagine going through that middle school, high school phase mm-hmm. without a dedicated group of people my age who didn't know what was going on either but was living a wild life in some capacity and we had to lean on each other I was transformed in that and I think when I returned home my parents would go who is this person that I'm seeing Mm -hmm. I I, I didn't show you these things and and they're kind of I don't know if they're jealous of it but I think y'all were kind of saying that like eclipsing them it's like you're yeah. not getting anything, but somehow you're rising, and I I can't figure it's it out. It's so interesting. I feel like for me, I definitely, the way that I resisted, you know, trying to let the wounds of my mother affect me, um, the way that I tried to heal myself, essentially, was definitely going, like, spending way too much time in friends' houses. It's interesting. And, and, you know, my sister kind of did that to a degree, too, but I did it especially. I remember being seven or eight years old, and my parent, my mother and my sister were both terrified because they had no idea where I was, and they didn't realize I was at the neighbor's house <laughs> like right, for that's as long where, as I was. I feel like that's where White Oak comes from. Right. That experience. I wrote a song called It's White a beautiful Oak. song that um, each other wrote called it, uh, White Oak. It's, yeah. it's you know, and oh, it just exper- it, it, it just really does a great job of documenting that experience. Yeah, I mean, I just, it, it, I mean, essentially I touch upon all of these kids that felt like they had to grow up faster. Um, I mean, kids just that, that just need to grow up, that just grow up too fast, you know? Uh, but I definitely... It's interesting because for me, I even, you know, I, like I said, I grew up with my mother and my sister. And for us, being from a working class background, we always had women living in our houses, like renting a second room or something like that. I feel like I've had a lot of surrogate families in my life. You know, I had a lot of people go in and out of my life. Right. So it's like, I, it's almost, you kind of, you kind of got used to just your family's always going to change, but at least you get to choose them. You know what I mean? Uh, It's your friends become your family, but it's like to no surprise, you almost eventually through time, you get used to the fact that people might end up leaving. 
which is another thing that we probably need to heal, honestly. <laughs> I'll be frank. Like, because it's, you know, you should uh, welcome the idea that somebody might, la like, stay. And it's that's great. And you should actually get used to that idea because it's beautiful to have people stay in your life forever. I, it's just not... Mm -hmm. It's, it's not plausible. I mean, plausible. they can stay if they earners, yo. They right. can stay if they earners. Everybody sure. in my circle got to be contributing, yo. We all got to be pulling this motherfucking heavy-ass rope that is the culture fucking change, which means doing the hard work inside. Yo, only the earners can stay, yo. <laughs> what about, Mo Man, just in terms of you were talking, um, like, what, like what the importance of chosen family like when did you Man. come to 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 realize that when did you come to really value and name that so first and foremost as a polyamorous person right that's something that's super central to my life like my chosen people are my partners like i understand that mm -hmm. these people get to see parts of me that no one else on the planet will see um they see me at my best they see me at my worst they see me anxious they see me confident they see me with my victories they see me with my fucking losses they see me bare you know what i'm saying full self full fucking self mm -hmm. so like those people we're together forever man like even like you know like Especially with polyamory, unless someone like really violates the fucking social contract, the worst we ever become is kind of like relationship anarchy. Like it might be a while before I talk to you, but like you're deep in my fucking heart forever, right? And like you are part of my fucking council. You know what I'm saying? Like we are down for each other forever until we're not, you know? And it's like, why can't my family feel that way about right? me? Why can't I but, show my family my full self? I have to show these other people. I remember one time, man, I was, I was doing a fucking poetry bout with uh, my nesting partner. Because uh, we were a power fucker couple, man. And, like, I was a slam master of Little Rock. So, like, because it was, like, the regional competition, I couldn't be the MC. So there was another MC who was the slam mistress from a city that was close. They were, like, a sister scene. Now, this is a person that I had been intimate with. Fuck, this is a person my nesting partner had been intimate with. Whoa, we had that been, stakes. Right? You know what I'm saying? But, like, that's not the context of what we are right now. Right now, this person is just a slam master, and we are just up here to do some fucking poems, right? So we do the poems. We beast the fuck out. You know, of course, me and my nesting partner make finals, you know, first and second of place, course. respectively. Boom! But, like, so then... The fucking MC comes up and hugs us both, right? They hug everybody because they're a hugger. But, like, the, the intimacy that you share in the hug with somebody that you have been with, it's always it's a different, a different It's a different kind of fucking hug. Oh, yeah. Like, you, you look at each other a little bit differently. There's a little bit more I feel like the full palm right. embraces the, right. the situation. It's and a that's full not, palm. That's even when it's, like, not shit is about to happen right yep. now. It's just this is a moment that we have shared and we will have – that's so like we're later on we're back at my parents house and they're like trying to celebrate you know yeah y'all made the fucking team and all this shit and like my mom dead ass goes to my nesting partner and she's like yo i don't know who that big bubble titty bitch is but you like need to have her not be holding up on your man like that you know what i'm saying oh my like god. to the point whereas my nesting partner can't even be like i oh my god I ate that girl's pussy. <laughs> like, like you can't be your honest and true fucking self. Like, there's no fucking way you can. And like, we're not talking about like me at 18. We're not talking about me at 20 fucking five, yo. I'm grown fucking grown. You know what I'm saying? Doing all this shit in bed that grown fucking people do. 
and it's just sex, sex yo. And your parents never get to that level of fucking maturity where they can hear honestly the kind of shit you're into. We grow past them. Yeah. Any final thoughts about chosen family from UHL? About chosen family? Yeah. Or um, whatever you wanted to talk about. I mean, the floor is yours, I should say. Well, honestly, I just want to like kind of touch on the importance of why we're talking about mother wounds, mm, the father wounds. Well, the father wounds are also really important and are very, very much a real thing. Super I think the true. reason why we chose to talk about it is because we both. I mean, I feel like living in a patriarchal society, um, when we are like the seeing how it affects our relationships with our mothers, especially the three of us having mothers that were intense as they were, there was this sort of absence of just this gentleness that is so associated with mothers, whether or not you can like have a healthy relationship with your mother Without it having to be nurturing, the fact that media and art pushes that image of what a mother should be and the fact that we felt like we lacked it, especially in the society that just is so aggressively masculine, it's just that the, the fact that the mother, I feel like that's why we need to talk about mother wounds because I feel like we all have to embrace that maternal nature within us because we have lacked it. And our society sure as hell isn't providing us anything that can feel that beautiful, at least in the mainstream. Yeah. I watch ASMR videos, though. That helps. <laughs> right, right. Right. <laughs> now, now know, know, uh, know your happy place, you know what I'm saying? How you can meditate and move forward. Now those, uh, them joints are tough, man. Yeah, I know. And I told when you got on the microphone, you were like, ooh, this sounds cool. I feel like I could do ASMR. Oh, right. yeah. Oh, yeah. I when know, I got on yeah. that, I was like, hello. Like, you just want to, anyway. Right. That was a little. That was a little break for our y'all listeners. <laughs> a little break. Um, I will say though, for real too though. <laughs> jump in there. Jump in. Get them. There's levels too because like when we talk about who our intimate found family are, you know, I don't. It's it's the assumption that that will always be sexual, right? M- meanwhile, oh, the word our intimacy? very sure. dear friends like are family to me. You know what I'm saying? Ichel is fucking family to me. Motherfucking Kita is family to me. Uh, Motherfucking you said Kita again. Well, right, because oh, sorry. it's just in the context of. Ah, uh, okay, sorry. No, no, it works. <laughs> sorry. We'll fix it in post. Right, right. No, no, no. All right. Amin is family to me. Ichel is family to me. Kita is family. Pages is family. Like, these are people I. W- this is what family was always supposed to be. This is what, like, like, I would die for these people, and these people would fucking die for me. Like, I could tell them, God forbid, 3.30 a.m., any fucking day, I need to be bailed out. <laughs> and it's going to yeah. happen. Yeah. And if judgment happens, that shit's coming mad later, yo. But it's not coming at 4 a.m., and, and also what's not coming at 4.01, when the fuck am I going to get paid back? Yeah. Yeah, shit. Yeah, I feel like um, there's like a vetting process with who you allow to be in your life, whether it's personally. It's a natural vetting process, though. I mean, though. even it's not in like terms a... of media, like too, like what you choose yeah, to sure. let in. So yeah. like it's a natural human process, right? And I think because of that, very quickly, everyone is is going to be like, well, 
this person at their best isn't interesting to me. Yeah. And we'll quickly like push them. You have to you have to recognize a schmegular. Even if you really want to be cool with them, you're like, oh, you're a schmegular. Sure. Though. But I also feel like because of that, that's why the, it's a, there's an importance to having your chosen family because you can see that these people like you for your very for all of you because people want to see you, you at your best not just at your best though but that's the thing i feel like for me but my, they can see you at your worst too my chosen family chosses to see me at my worst there are some people where i have full self shit i have friendships where i just know it won't get past a certain level because i know that they mostly enjoy me at my best which is fun but i actually there's a way that i divide this because i like order from, you know, so I say that you have like your core friends, you have your mantle friends, core friends, right? Mantle friends, mantle, mantle friends. friends, and then you have like your crust. Everybody's invited. Like I'm a talking about crust friend situation, right? I'm referencing the shape of the earth. I mean, we, how the earth is, right? Like, like how the earth is set up. Like, you know. I'm sorry you have to deal with this. Oh, no, it's totally it's cool. It's Leo. You got Leo to the left, Leo to the so right. So much. Oh, my God. <laughs> and you're just this cancer energy, and you're just it's... right here. Urgh, I, I love it. Yeah, man, this Thank is my you. first time here. Like, so I'm just letting you know. That I'm, this for is the, the first people time I'm... we've had cancer energy on here. Listen, I, there are some things that I want to say, but it's just so much fire energy right now. <laughs> I will become... I'm more vocal, but I'm just, I'm getting acclimated. I'm a cat, really. I really need to get used to the space for a little bit. I'll be fine. I'll be good. No, but what I was saying, though, is yeah, that you have- Yeah, please continue, Friday. Really no, 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 interrupted. No. Yeah, you, I just, like, divide my friends because I love experiencing, me personally, as many different people as possible. Mm. But there are certain people that are definitely, I'm not going to, they're not going to be- I, because they, I know that I can't be at my worst around them. They're, I can't call them my core friends. Yeah, they like fear that, you know, because they don't sit with their own pain. Well, uh, they not avoid e it. Well, no, like what I was saying is that people are self involved. Like there are some people where, honestly, yeah, like if you're you an accessory to their life. No, they're not I, trying to deal with that negative side. Then you're an accessory. Well, I honestly don't think it's just. I think we do it too. Like I'm not saying that. I think every human does it. To a degree, because there are some people where it's like I've seen them at their worst, and there's this toxicity around them, and I don't know if I could be that. But when yeah, they because they refuse to move forward, you know. Some people, yeah, but like I, I think mean, people get tired of trying to someone who continues to make bad choices. Sure, you know, and move forward. Like I, I can't be around those people because it's like. I think it depends on the purpose. Uh, per, uh, I the let person, those people sorry. out of my it life. On I let them go. No, but I feel like for me, like you know what you can handle. Like I feel like for me, I've done a lot, had experienced many setbacks, which for others they might interpret it as like, oh well, she doesn't know how to like pick herself up by the bootstraps and keep going. But whereas you, because our personalities mesh well, you were like, no, she's got it. If you just give her a second, you know what I mean. And I have to accept how other. Uh, to be receptive to how other people see me. And I don't need to allow certain people in my life like that, but I know other people will see it as they'll still have hope for me at the end of the day, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it goes back to what I said about the whole earner, right? What value are they bringing to my life, right? It's not to say that you can't possess value, but as it stands, mm -hmm. you are a net deficit, and that shit is not always something I choose to have around me all the time. Something mm -hmm. or someone that is a fucking liability. Mm -hmm. Emotional, physical, whatever the fuck. But, I feel, mm -hmm. but all we really need from them is a paradigm shift. 
I feel like you really have to know your personality, your individual personality to know who provides you a net deficit because that's what helps me become tolerant of other people. It's like, you're not for me, but you are not a person like you're just not for me. You know what I mean? And yeah, you don't, you don't, you know, you don't mesh with me. I, you, you're mm-hmm. a net, you don't. Make my life better. You you right. bring you can me make down somebody else's life to, better. Yeah, but that's know? not right. And that's I. But I will say this: mm-hmm. I think that you can fall in love with this idea that you bring value to a space, and you'll realize that no value is being brought into your space. And I and I think that that's where I gotta we we we. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's just where I'm at with it. If you ain't bringing that to my space, mm, I'm good. Yeah, and the thing that's tough, though, I think, especially for some women, not all, but, like, I know for me, I allowed so many people into my life because I saw their potential and I saw what made them a special human being. And But because I didn't know myself well, because I didn't do the introspective work, I just sort of thought, I just didn't say, like, I didn't evaluate, like, is this person providing me anything? Because I really saw their potential as a whole being. But they didn't mix, mix with me. Part of under, part of growth as a human is realizing that you can't be everything to everybody and really honoring the specificity of what that means. That's the whole process. It's like, this person doesn't mesh with me because, like, Avatar more than Naruto. I haven't seen Naruto. But that was just, like, a specific example. I don't know. Like, just, like, a random-ass thing where it's, like, I can't mix... But that doesn't necessarily... I feel like people confuse the differences. They think that just because you don't mix with a person that you're automatically seeing that person as somebody bad or somebody it's like you don't provide anything for me so you're a bad person it's like no they're just a different person and they can do them over there that person may very well thrive without you and become a better person like maybe your your in your personalities don't mix so much that you're actually you're also bringing out the worst in this other person yeah, no, I mean, I, I feel everything that you're saying. You know what I'm saying? Like, when you're talking about, like, some people are oil and water. And yeah. also understanding that our ego is not the manifestation of the world's reality. Mm-hmm. That is to say, mm-hmm. just because you don't have value in my life, it doesn't mean that you don't have value. It's important for people to say, like, for us to say that. It does toot your own ego if you're like, you don't provide value in my life, and my life is pretty grand. So, but we also have to recognize that, you know, we just, it's just, we just need to honor our own journey. Factual, factual. Um, more journeys to happen. Uh, are y'all ready to go to um, Paradigm Shift, though? All right, let's do it. Let's do it. What we do now and in the next few years will profoundly affect the next few thousand years. I am just blessed to have just a true abundance of knowledge and wisdom surrounding me at the moment when it comes to music now that we're getting into the 2000 the roaring 20s i'm very excited to I bring clutch hats back <laughs> there's so many things you want to bring I, back i'm an old person you really are the <laughs> oldest person i know but still the most childlike in some fashion i don't know mo man is close mo, mo, mo man is close so uh, I was thinking, since I have the, such wisdom and such uh, context surrounding me um, in Mo Man in Ichel, I was thinking we could talk about the 2010s music scene and how do you view this decade in music? What changed? What was the story that, that you gained from this 
yeah. uh, season. Oh, wi- holders of wisdom. Yeah, you know, we we were joking about it last week. You know, like my love for Rage Against the Machine, the fact that they can get back, and like even just the the curiosity, right? As to what kind of new things they can bring to music, right? But the fact is, all of that shit, you know, Battle for Los Angeles and everything that came before that, it's been more than twenty years ago, and that shit still bangs, and that shit still is relevant. So what there is is a, is a kind of fucking longevity that I have not yet seen. And we never know who's the media that's going to make it. Mm-hmm. But I wonder, like, who is going to be that person? Like, when you think about 90s, all that shit still bangs, bro. You can go back and still listen to fucking mm-hmm. Kurt Cobain and, and Nirvana. And that shit still bangs. You can go back and listen to fucking Tupac, you know what I'm saying? Me Against the World. That shit still bangs. Now, again, 90s perspective is all them niggas died before they could get to corny music. So, like, that's something that's that's real, you know? But sometimes you die a fucking villain, man. I remember when I thought The weekend was, like, the most brilliant motherfucker ever, man. Mm-hmm. Listening House to of songs, Balloons, that first You know what I'm saying? Was crazy. I was like, what the fuck is this shit, bro? My soft boy, polyamorous, slutty ass. I'm like, this nigga singing my fucking soul in my life. I feel like I should get points on the package. Then often, he, often, man, I gotta do this often, boy. Like, what the fuck? Fuck yeah, this is my life or nah? Then you end up with this motherfucker doing this shit by the what was it, the fucking Fifty Shades, and it's like, goddamn, bro, this generation. It's like the, the thing corniest you love, thing you can do, right? Because they've been programmed to chase the bag at all costs, like always go for the bag. The bigger the bag, the bigger the yeah. And it's like, man, some shit you gotta say fucking no to, bro. Man, when I hear the weekend now, bro, this shit is cringeworthy. And I just think about like that's the story to me of like music from this decade. Very few people are gonna have the longevity where I feel as warmly about them at the beginning of this shit as I'm going to on the way out. I feel like though that's been to a degree every generation is just you just see how artists that start out independent their sounds change when they do which is very jarring like alicia cara was really cute in the beginning and then it doesn't happen every time it happens every single like i loved anderson pack and then right that becomes a focus group right the second that you start making money and it's like this is what your fans like we want you to do more of this kind of music that's when you lose yeah, it's really sad because you want their you want them to have success in their careers. I don't I've never had that much wealth. I wonder what goes into their inside their minds that makes them change. I mean, Chance the Rapper, come on. Like that's like a huge example of just how things can change. Do not get us started. Yo, 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 no, no, no. Because think about it, man. If someone would have went and gave a had a little time machine and hit me at twenty ten. And had a million dollars and was like, place this million dollar bet on who's going to be running rap over the next decade. I would have bet Jay Electronica. Like in 2010, there's no fucking way you couldn't have told me Jay Electronica wasn't going to be the fucking god of rap for the next decade. Where the fuck is dude? I'm out a million fucking dollars. I think what's interesting, though, is that for longevity, I honestly feel like an artist really has to respect how they will evolve as an individual. And I feel like if you're always trying to reach success, you're not going to reflect on who you are as a person. That's super true. And you don't live art based off of your life experiences now. You're creating art based off of a template of buzzwords that people around you like. No, there's no disrespect to nobody. I mean, a lot of my favorite artists have done this in some capacity. You don't rush your process, too. What's unfair, though, to talk about 
what we, we haven't talked about in the 2010s was this lie that they gave us. And they said, we, oh, we don't need the record labels. You can just go right online and you can put your music out to the world and that'll be great. But what happened now is we're in a sea of music. Mm-hmm. I remember me, me, you, and Mo Man, we were talking about 90s music and we were saying mm-hmm. there are more, there's more music in the 90s then if you listen to a song for every second in the 90s, you still wouldn't be able to listen to all the songs that was made in the 90s. Mm-hmm. In 2010, it would take you 50 years, probably more, to listen to all the music that was made in the 2010s because right. of the more the accessibility. So what we gained in accessibility, we lost in platform. So mm-hmm. it's so difficult now to, for artists to make money in any way. The, the labels really tightened their clinch when it came to the music industry because there was less money involved because of you know of streaming and stuff like that and i think that we do need to acknowledge that when we talk about artists in the 2010s i don't think it's just their fault i think it's the system surrounding them no absolutely and just following what you're saying bro there is just so much media you can even be considered a success and many motherfuckers will never have heard of you just quickly to add just go inside like a vintage or just go inside a record shop there's still like random record shops that exist no matter what town you go into, you will see records of people that you've never heard of with the most beautiful record artwork. And you're like, who is this independent artist from like like 1974? Vibe right here, yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. It's I mean, all of that, all of that shit is absolutely real. I remember earlier this week I hit a mean because I was listening to fucking Kevin Gates. Cause goddamn it, I'm from the South, okay? I'm from the fucking South. And he was doing that the song All About My Lonely, right? And he shot it out in speaker knockers. So I, I fucking immediately I text a mean. I'm like, who the fuck is the speaker knockers, bro? And like he, you know, he gives me the little whoop de whoop because y'all, I'm gonna tell that y'all. I'm gonna let it be known. Fuck what you heard. A mean is rap wiki. You know what I'm saying? Like, if it's a fucking obscure ass rapper and like you have not heard of him, ask a mean. He'll be like, oh, you know, his first three albums, you know, I thought he was gonna do a little album and shit. So, like, you know, he gives me the little precursor and I go through the little deep dive shit and I'm listening to fucking speaker knockers. Interesting story, by the way. Crazy fucking story about a, a, a young rapper who dies at 19 who's on the verge of superstardom. You go and you look up his Rico story. That shit's got like 150 million fucking views. And that shit was... Yesterday, it, you didn't know who they were. Yesterday, I didn't know who the fuck this was. And this shit been out since 2013. I was listening to an interview with Doja Cat, my mm-hmm. Habibti. She was saying like, oh, remember back then, like early in the 2010s, it was like... Oh, your video went viral. Now it's like your video is expected to go viral. If your video doesn't go viral, it's some trash. And I think that's where we're at now. Is like you can you, a video can have 150 million and it doesn't really matter or register because you know how many videos got 150 million? Like of 150 million. So I, I think that's where it is. And I think it's interesting that y'all were talking about uh, each other. You were talking about record stores because something that I really felt like come back, came back in the 2010s was like this desire for lo-fi and, Ooh, and, 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 and juxtaposing yeah. it to the high fidelity aspect of music. Mm-hmm. You know, when I think of someone like Tra- Travis Scott, that's just, there's so much going on in there. You know, uh, uh, when me and Mo Man went to the Massive Attack concert, you know, there's so much going on in there i just think that the lo-fi aspect coming back is really people i think looking for music you know they're looking for new music that has that same aesthetic hip-hop really picked up on that and but i also think you know that minimalism is something that people like and something that people need the tiny homes and you know it, it, it i feel like it comes in on the music 
Well, I feel like creative energy definitely comes in a place. It always comes in a place of calm. Like it, I, some of the best work comes when there is no fear. Like you're just like sort of tapping into this freedom within you. And I feel like minimalism people are finding um, allows for that to come out, you know, gently. Do you, you know? feel like more artists are trying to have a minimalistic presence out there now? <laughs> well, I think In terms of music, maybe not of self or of a brand, but just the music style. I think there's like, there's more of it, but there's still definitely people that are looking for more wow factor. That's never, I feel like that's always been a thing throughout the ages where everybody wants to go for a shock factor. Everybody wants something that's very provocative. You know what I mean? I feel like both are existing like now, like, but I mean, it's existing, but I feel like people aren't doing less of the other thing too. Uh, doing less of what is fun, accessible, and super easy to digest, like the fast food of music. We still want to pump that out as much as possible. Like that's always been. All right. So can I can I ask y'all a question? Yeah. Can I ask y'all a question? Uh, we don't we don't fully know the context of the 2010s yet. However, uh-huh. um, I thought that it was interesting. You know, we were I was whatever I, I just all kind of things pop into my head but i remember we were doing the you know our 80s countdown you know for this crew was the one oh let's do the 80s countdown let's do the 90s countdown let's do this 70s countdown mm-hmm. and we were just going back and, and playing different music for each other and I, I was thinking you know what where is your ranking when it mm-hmm. comes to the decades of music i'm not going to include the 2010s mm-hmm. you can i guess if you want but i don't know if we fully got the context so far we don't know who the Rage Against the Machines are going to be. So uh, I just wanted to know, in your opinion, where would you, how would you rank in, you know, from, from high to low the decades of music? Okay. Um, look, I'm going to lay it out there. Gen X flag, right? But this is me still being objective. Number one, you have to look at the 90s because – and this is why. Whether you're talking about black culture or white culture, this is really the beginnings of intersectionality. You're starting to see hardcore metal groups fucking with rap acts. Mm-hmm. You're seeing groups like Korn go on tour with groups like fucking Ice Cube. You know what I'm saying? Like, that shit's happening. Like, you have Tool happening. You have Pac happening. You have Rage Against the Machine happening. You have Deftones happening. You have Poured His Head happening. Like, mm-hmm. in every genre that you go to, it is some of the greatest, most avant-garde fucking music ever, and it's because, it right, the 90s were the last generation to really kind of look back, right? Like, this is why, I, like, when we say, okay, boomer, like, nigga, we watched you motherfuckers for a long time. We used to respect you. We thought y'all were gonna be the ones that changed the world. Like, with 90s, like, man, when you're listening to fucking, when you're listening to Kurt Cobain, all he's talking about is how much he likes to listen to The Doors, how much he likes to listen to the fucking Beatles, because we're listening to the groups that came before. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And that shows. When you're listening to the rap, right, Who you, what do you got? You got fucking Dre sampling Parliament Funkadelic and shit, like reaching back for all the music that came before and making it new, reinventing it and making it fresh. Black, white, young, old, this is happening. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Rack, uh, rap, rack, wow, rap, rock, whatever. You know what I'm saying? Literation is tough, buddy. It is. Words are dumb, right? But then the when King you look past that, bullshit, right? Yeah. So 90s is number one for all of those reasons. Number two for me, 
I have to say it's the 60s because you have much the same shit. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You you have the Rolling Stones are popping off. Blues is in one of the greatest places it's ever been. You know, you have all of this rockabilly shit that's popping. You have all of this, you know what I'm saying? You got Chuck Berry out there, like, really being electric with the fucking guitar and shit. Like, you have... But at the same time, it's the birth of the Jackson 5. You know, you have Stax music. You have fucking the Yardbirds are coming on at the end of the shit. Like, you know what I'm saying? All of these things are happening. Um, And to me, it's just a great era from Motown to all of that different stuff. And it's going to last forever. And much the same. So then from there, I think it gets tough, but uh, I'm going to give it to the 70s over the 80s because I feel like the 70s is incredibly underrated. You got your disco popping. Um, you know, you you have fucking Fleetwood Mac. You have, yeah. you know, the Eagles. You have, you know, Parliament, uh, Funkadelic Parliament, the beginning of metal. You got fucking Coltrane. You know what I'm saying? Jimmy fucking Hendrix, Janis Joplin. All of this is happening. Funk is happening. You know, Rick James is coming on. Then the 80s with what happens with The Cure. This is Prince is really starting to get famous. Like, all of that. Then I would say the 2000s. And and we're not counting 2010. But right now, because I haven't seen the artists that are going to last forever, they're last. Yeah. Um, I feel like for me, my countdown, like I would put the seventies first. Um, but I also am extremely biased and like my parents, like my mother, I grew up, she was a little Salvadoran lady, but she loved disco, you know, and she, well, she was really, she's an Aquarian mother. She really loved, um, exploring different, um, a lot of different stuff that she just was not familiar with. So she loved a lot of R&B and soul and funk. She actually had what she, my my mom collected those little um, body and soul CDs. If anybody knows about this, I don't, I don't know anybody who would, but the infomercial CDs. There used to be infomercials. Yes, I remember them. So you would call and like subscribe and every month you would get like a CD with a Basically, we could have just done this with like pre-internet streaming. This was what we had to go through, kids. Right, like CDs. eventually, my sister just like down made LimeWire, like downloaded some stuff for her through LimeWire. But before LimeWire, like you just you had to order c- CDs, and they would make a mix for you, you know, and you would get it every month. So I listened to a lot of like old like seventies Motown, and um, it was what you were raised with. I resonate with that. Yeah, and I feel like the 70s was very empowering for people of color, for sure. I mean, you, you had to hear it. I mean, like, I it started with black and brown communities, um, and there was just such a, and queer communities. I feel like, I don't know, there's just certain sounds where you just feel it, and it makes sense that it would cross borders and resonate with other black and brown communities, you know? Uh, And my mother loved disco. She loved Donna Summer. And I I just love the 70s because for me, it it wasn't just disco, but disco was, when you listen to some of them, they're hymns. You know, they're hymns made to dance music. 
Um, they lied to me about disco. Go ahead, moment. They just totally lied I mean, to me. Donna Summers, yo. Donna Summers was literally my first fucking crush. I remember, man, I wasn't even in fucking kindergarten yet. And Bad Girls is like, are you fucking kidding me? Who is this goddess, oh God, man? That little precious little Love baby. to love you? Like, eight, I didn't even know what the oh fuck God. porn is. I'm like... What the fuck is this? Oh my god! It. Like people still sample it. I think for me, what I love in terms of music is a sense. I've always vibed with a certain theatricality to music. I the- totally understand that with you, right? Because theater is storytelling, but it's like it's such a bold, fun storytelling. And I feel like the '70s just had a lot of. Um, I don't know, is transitioning from like the 60s, which was not very theatrical, is very much like, uh, just like, it was much more serious in terms of having people liberate their minds and their hearts. And then this, we transitioned to the 70s where we're just, all right, it is what it is. Let's have a good time. You know what I mean? And like, what does that look like? Um, and so the 70s That's was number-, number one for you. 70s was number one for me. Also, rock was really great. My dad listened to a lot of Queen, so that's a lot of glam. Yeah, glam rock and yeah. Um, So the 90s, I would put afterward in terms of like influence. It was a whole island of music in its own time because I feel like the 80s was a very materialistic time. And so were the 2000s. And I feel like the 90s. Yeah, it wasn't really about that. It you know? wasn't about that. It was about making things. Like, you really thought that we were going to keep there was growing. A lot of ch- there was a lot of status quo challenging music. We were nihilist as fuck. We were the right. motherfuckers that survived the Reagan years. Are you kidding? Yeah. Like, look, no shade. All you motherfuckers that had to come up under fucking George W. And, and the lesser and fucking Trump. We were brought up under the original drug dealer I mean, also Lilith Fair like that whole like movement of just like these like women with acoustic guitars just embracing their inner melancholy and with I mean I don't know man like I just I feel like it was the 90s was also a really great time for female artists to just be great for being female artists not trying to be anything else there were so many tough women like with rock and R&B like I just I mean, girl groups, and there was a lot of lady rappers. Like, I don't know. There was just a lot of tough... She was popping in the 90s. There was a lot of tough women that weren't using... I mean, I think... I don't want to say, like, using your sexuality is necessarily a bad thing, but there should be more variety. You know what I mean? And I feel like I don't see a lot of... sexuality is just so a part of everything, and, like, we have to start with sex positivity, like, being people's choices, and, like, people being allowed to make those choices as a positive thing. Oh, for sure. I just, I want, like, I would also like more variety, and I feel like the 90s had a variety of what women were. You know what I mean? so many different genres of of music in the 90s was popping, like, so many movements. Yeah. So 90s is two. 90s is two. 60s, three because you know it did. Ex- you know, very folksy. For sure, I'm. I love. You're a folksy, folksy person. And then 80s because I also I feel like 80s are still tough though. The thing know. is, is that there was I mean a lot of I I do like pop music. I like the catchiness of what 80s pop was music definitely for the be. best. Was pop definitely because it was pop. moving pop. You had the motherfucking Cure in the 80s, yo. What the fuck, man? Yeah. Friday, I'm in love, bitch. Is you fucking kidding me? When it definitely came to like, I don't know, like gothic culture was becoming a bit more popular in the 80s and up and coming. I just feel like the 80s, yeah, was a really, really, really good time for experimental stuff in terms of the technology and the production of things. It was rudimentary digital. And I think that there was a lot of 
kinks that they were working out back then, but you do appreciate it now. But yeah. so that means you put the 2000s last. <laughs> That's yeah. been my experience that I've been asking everyone this question. I was I didn't want to jinx it at first, but I was wondering if it was going to be 2000s for everybody to be last. What's your order? What's your order? Um, 70s, because I like drug music. <laughs> oh, true, true. Uh, 90s, because you can't put 90s anywhere other than two. If oh. it's not number one, it has to be number two. 90s is that good. Um, number three, I'm going to put 80s. I really do love 80s music. Mm-hmm. I really did love 80s rap, too. I know people don't go re- think it's necessary to revisit, but 80s rap was really good. And uh, there was disco popping still, you know. And yeah, well, uh, yeah. Yeah, a little bit, and um, I would put sixties. There, you know, I'm I'm not really, I don't go back to that to that era that much. You know, it was like, I I I admit I don't know much about it. And then uh, yeah, I think the two thousands. There was just something. I mean, there, there's there's positives in the two thousands. I lo- listened to a lot of good music. Sure. I definitely listened to a lot of good New York mixtape rap. Was a huge part of what I was doing, and and Jada Kiss and the Diplomats and you know Joe Budden and all those guys that were involved in that New York mixtape rap. But I and what was going on in the scene was. Blech. You know, and everyone thinks Eminem is the best, but that's when he came up in the 2000s. It was slim pickings. Anyway, let me not even get started. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, think about that shit though, because that's the era of that's the era of Nelly, Eminem, Ja Rule. I mean, these are literally this is the marquee rappers of the 2000s. And if that shit don't make you cringe, bruh, that should tell you every fucking thing. It was tough to look back. All right, let's um. Let's switch it up. So as we kind of move forward and we get get ready to wrap up, since, like I said, I hold y'all in very high esteem when Whoa. it comes, yes, when it comes to your knowledge of music and your taste in music, because both of you are like me, a taste maker. So I would like to know what music in the 2010s changed you or moved you forward or pushed the envelope touched your spirit sparked you you know i got fed you let's say it like that so i'll make mine uh really quick man for me it's about people that can change the concept of what i expect like i remember for a long time when i would hear british rappers like if you weren't slick rick you sounded a little bit corny and even slick rick was just kind of like a novelty right but i would say it was really in the 2010s that the like the British rap scene came the fuck on. Motherfuckers like Skepta, you know what I'm saying? Crapton Conan, really, really dope. Uh, I would say another group that really banged for me in the 2010s, um, and they're kind of low key, right? Like, um, but they have two albums out. Is Purity Ring? Like, it, it really had a feel for me that was something that was reminiscent to the old trip hop. Like, like they would have fit in perfectly in the Beth Gibbons, Portishead kind of era. But, like, at the same time, it's kind of lo-fi, it's electronic, ethereal, gray fucking, uh, just very cerebral, sexy-ass music. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Those are So those are the two things, the two waves I've been fucking with hardcore that I feel like maybe could last Yeah, I feel like for me, the 2010s, as we advance technologically, there's definitely people are noticing that because like people are noticing the lack of actual intimate, personal one on one, you know, coming to comings together, (laughs) meeting people in person, you know, people are lacking the sense of intimacy, just connecting with a person um, physically. So I feel like musically, there is this sort of trying to make up for that, especially vocally. I feel like artists with more hush sounds like Billie Eilish, 
um, are becoming way more popular. And I feel like even like the the belting, the theatricality is gone. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing as a person. Like I stated before, I love theatricality. Like I love that it's becoming like people on the Internet can sing more softly and gently and like you know, have more intimate, soft-sounding voices, you know? I feel like, however that may look, I mean, SZA isn't the most amazing singer, but her music, her voice is very intimate. Um, Frank Ocean, same thing. It's like not, we're not... they're whispering to you a story about, they're like, hey, Mm -hmm. this is a story about me, a person, one person in the room. Yeah, Callie... It's like a conversation with you. Right, Callie Uchi even stated in an interview, she loved voices that were very... um, that weren't the big voices that were hush. And so she played on that. And like Kuko is another artist that is like really becoming popular because it sounds so intimate. And it also, I mean, it resonates with people because you can only sound that way if you're really close to somebody. You know, if somebody's singing something softly to you, it's because they're close to you and because we're physically not connected to people as much as we are, uh, as much as, I mean, because we're not physically connected as much because we're so attached to our phones. Something I, uh, I gained, you know, from this decade and I, I really like this decade. I, I really appreciated this, the music that was out, but mine, you know, is more because we live in a streaming world and we live in a digital world and that, that is fully functioning around many of, if not all of the different generations and certainly generation Z, Mm -hmm. you know, that SoundCloud movement, Mm. the underground is so big. It's not even an underground anymore. It's like, there's this mid tier that you can go to and you can just sit in and you can have a successful career. That entire mid tier. I think of someone like, Big Crit this decade. I never really heard a Big Crit song played on the radio all the time or, you know, a bit, you know, but he just released album after album after album and not all of them were impeccable, but they were all pretty good. And I just think of like now an artist can really live in that mid tier and become a legend in the game without like the larger apparatus around hip hop that views hip hop, you know, as a a monolith, you know what I mean? Like they may not see Big Crit, but the game in of itself really sees him as a an artist. An artist that's been popping since the beginning of the 2010s. And kind of not mid-tier in terms of talent, just in terms of exposure, seeing artists like this go for a long time. And I know Moment was talking about longevity, but I think that's how you do it. You just keep going. You just keep making music. You just keep pushing forward. Put the ego aside and just do yeah. it for. Fuck the radio. Take however. Take take whatever people are willing. Take whatever perceptions you receive. Is there any artist specifically for you, Ichel? What? Two thousand tens. The two thousand tens. Who 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 smacked you in the face with goodness? Because you said Frank Ocean. Now you know. You know how I feel about Frank. I don't really follow as many new artists. Mm. Like, I just take little bits here and there. But one You're the artist, oldest person I know. I know. I I would say one artist that I really enjoyed, um, and I don't know what's going to become of her, it was Raven Linnae. She was really, on SoundCloud, a big sort of experimental... She, like, experimental artist that had those hush tones that had that playful energy. She kind of had like blended old and new in her sound. You could definitely hear old R&B influences 
from like the 70s. She kind of reminds me of Minnie Ripperton in a sense because Minnie Ripperton was like sensual in her sound but yeah. still playful and she kind of has that energy, Raven Linne, but also she had a lot of lo-fi sounds in the production. I don't know how she's going to change because she is growing in popularity, but I she was an artist that came out that I really... I went to one of her shows. I met her. She Look was at re- you. Big deal. You're out here with the people going to shows. You know, the opposite of me of the lo-fi, like, because I also, I rock with the hi-fi too. I rock with like all these different instruments and all this big synth sound. I really mm-hmm. do appreciate that. Mm-hmm. And, and you can kind of be minimalist even in, in that regard. Sure. But, you know, someone I think that really moved me in this decade. First of all, I think we should, we have to mention Rihanna. Just oh, what she's yeah. done in this decade is crazy. But Nancy in terms of straight up music for me, someone who I really love in uh, that's in like, you know, big in the, in the music world, I think was Janelle Monet. Someone who really in the early 2010s, you know, kind of had this different. No, nah, you can't st- categorize archetype. her, and I feel you with that, man. Like yeah. she's really amazing. She really kind of moved forward and became she's an artist. Two point She's she could be a model. She's an incredible singer. Dancer, her sense of actor, fucking incredible. Her acting is incredible. Like she's one of the people I don't even hear people talk about what she did in Moonlight. She like she's one of the best fucking parts yeah, of really Moonlight. Moonlight, and motherfuckers forget that she was in that shit. In that spirit, I would say an artist in the 2010s that I'm really looking at really hardcore is Valerie June. Mm-hmm. I feel like she can do a lot of things. I mean, she has the heart of the blues in her, you know. That voice is generational. When you're talking about belting, she can fucking yeah. belt. And she will take you there, and oh my God. But she has range. It's, it is the Absolutely. belting, but it's like she'll, she'll, she'll come back down and bring you to a place that's just you and her. And I don't know if she's doing the songwriting, but whatever, whoever... The songs that she picks she knows how and to pick chooses them. to put out will fucking take you there, bro. Like, she is the truth. So anybody that's not up on that, man, definitely fuck with some Valerie June. Yeah, in terms of vocalist, I really love Leanne Le Havas, too. Check her out for sure. Check out her Tiny Desk. It was it came out a while ago. Hey, but talking like, about 2010s, Tiny Desk. I was going to... When yeah. did that drop? When that that? How long is that? That felt like that was been out for a while. Yeah. But Taylor Swift got a tiny desk. I don't, I haven't. Why? I don't intend Why? to watch. Who wants to hear, didn't you hear, what was the joint that she covered? I, I, she covered something on Tiny Desk? No, 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 no. She, she covered Stop a, it. Stop it. So you say what Stop it is right it. now. The people deserve oh to know. Oh my God. She covered Earth, Wind, and Fire. What Earth the, with it. Oh you don't remember that? And it was the God. soft white girl. It, do you remember? Oh, please stop. I, okay, can we just acknowledge that? I don't know why. Extreme poverty. There are oh so many songs that white people want to cover in a hushed tone. I heard Never somebody do a name. cover of uh, Shaka Khan's Ain't Nobody. Like, what? She's like, yeah. Ain't Nobody makes me feel this way. Like, <laughs> like why? Do y'all remember in Atlanta? Where Paperboy had just put out that Paperboy, Paperboy. And then it was the white girl. She was in the car. She was like, Paperboy, Paperboy. I have not even seen that, that, but that sounds accurate. You didn't watch Atlanta with us? I didn't. Hey, I'll tell you. We need to talk about. You got to do that. I I came to that wave late. It's fucking incredible. Yeah, you need to be rocking with Atlanta. Sorry. I'm not to shame you in any way. I just, guys, I really don't commit to a lot of things. (laughs) Like... (laughs) I just, it's it's a problem. It's, it's nothing okay. against Atlanta 
being the show. Like, I saw a couple episodes. It was great. It's just, that's why I need friends. Look, I this live, is Leo energy here that's like, consume. I yeah, got into Game of, Game of Thrones because you two. You guys kept I'm me committed sorry. to it. I, I do apologize. No, the, the watch sessions were fun. Yeah. They they were. See, this is the shit I was talking about last week. You get con fucking. You make all your friends go out watching this shit turn out whack, yo. Atlanta's tricky for me, man, because I feel like as a black boy, that show should come with a motherfucking trigger warning, bro. Uh, <laughs> it's like, are you fucking kidding me? There's a million ways that life is fucked up and dangerous, even for incredibly talented Negroes. Ichel, we definitely want to just, can we just give you another round of applause? Oh my gosh, friend. Blessing us with your day, you know, I to come spend everyone. time with us. Thank and you for having me. Yeah. Um, and just remind them, where can they find you on, on the gram? So you can find me on Instagram at hypofeminine. So it's H-Y-P-L feminine. So check it out. I post weird shit. Also, you know. Are you doing any shows coming up? I know you just finished. Yeah. Um, I do. A co- yeah. I, did, I perform mostly in the D.C. area as of now. But, you know. Yeah. That's going to so change. I went to each else, um, you know, comedy, uh, comedy show. She just is incredible, you know. And, and then, like, two weeks before... I, w- I went to one of her uh, one of her performances and she was in a play at Atlas Theater three weeks before I'm you know seeing her do an open mic set you know with the guitar and no one knows that she's like 18 different world class artists. Oh my God, guys! <laughs> yeah, we really appreciate really appreciate you. It's just you know I I just want to just any anything we didn't get to cover that you want to just put out there before we close it down. I just want to say I love you all and um, you know. Please share with us if you are willing, if you feel comfortable enough to, to share your own wounds. Um, Because that's the first step is just um, being open, not for anybody else, but for you, for, you know, vocalizing something that is stuck in your subconscious (laughs) and bringing it out in front of you. And also, you know, I think one of the mother wounds that has affected me, part of having mother wounds is realizing that I don't know how to be gentle with myself because of it. And if you don't know how to be gentle with yourself, how the fuck do you know how to be gentle? Like, where do you start? And just, I feel like for me, it doesn't have to look, you know, it can look whatever way gentleness looks to you. Anything that alleviates this tension that you're allowing to exist in your body and in your mind. And for me, I like... Honestly, that's why I got into comedy, because sometimes talking to myself softly and gently isn't enough. What alleviates that tension for me sometimes is just humor and joy and just find what that looks like for you. Uh, Mo Man, is there, uh, Ichel, by the way, uh, very eloquent. Uh, Mo Man, do you have any final thoughts before uh, we move on? No, man, I just wanted to thank our guest, man. You know, it takes a whole lot to get up and talk about the... The violence that we endured as youth, you know, and people think that 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 means like we're angry or that we hold a grudge. And it's like, nah, this is just the reality of it. And to to share that shit is real shit and it's intimacy. So we love y'all. Ichel, thank you so much. You You know what I'm saying? I want I want to give a big shout out to um, Smoochie Blanco for hitting us up, you know, putting this, uh, uh, putting this into the forefront. Um, and like Ichel said, you know, our we want to see we want to know what your mother wounds are. Um, you know, exit the Matrix Podcast at gmail.com, Matrix Podcast on IG, rock with us, and uh, you know we'll be back. <laughs> Still I rise, we'll be back up in here. We Chosen family gang, what? what's up? Hey, baby.